Everybody turn with me to the second book of Corinthians, chapter 1. And we're going to have a look at verses 21 and 22. And I'm going to just shorten it, but I want to just touch a little bit this morning on the Holy Spirit's ministry to us. Is that okay? But I want to just have a very quick look at Paul's summary in the book of Corinthians anyway of the person and work of the Holy Spirit. I think those are the right verses. So this is what the Apostle Paul says. He says a lot. But this is what he says in the book of 2 Corinthians. Now, really, if you want to get this into context, you need to read from chapter 1 all the way through to the end of chapter 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 21 and 22, the Apostle Paul says, Now, he that establishes us, the King James says, establisheth, he hasn't got the E on the front. Now, he which establisheth us with you, together with you, the Corinthian church, Paul was saying, in Christ... So there's an establishment of the people of God in Christ. So you are established in Christ. So sometimes you get to see a company or a building, and it'll say, established 1902. He establishes us in Christ. Now that word there, well, those two words, the in Christ, are powerful, powerful words. In Christ. Everybody say, in Christ. Look at the person next to you and say, you are in Christ. Now, in Christ is powerful. We need to understand the whole thing. And I've been doing a study on in Christ and uh, then looking at Christ in us. And it's so powerful. I've, I've got lost for hours and hours and hours. I've been studying and having a look at Scripture. But I began to realize something when I started praying about it, that in Christ, and I'm not going to start preaching next week's message, but in Christ... In Christ is a powerfully legal term, not legalistic. It's powerfully legal. And because we don't understand this, and I'm not going to preach it today. I'm going to preach it in two weeks' time. Because we don't understand the legality of being in Christ, we then try to establish our own righteousness. The moment we understand how legal that was, you'll be satisfied with the work of Jesus. But it's not only legal, it's also forensic. Forensic is like, you know, you get forensic audits and things like that. Forensic very much is the application of. So in other words, it's legal and forensic. So it's the application of that legal to our lives, which then begins to equal something that's highly moral. Okay, but we won't go there. So the first thing the Holy Spirit does is He establishes you. In Christ. Is that good? Establishes you in Christ. The second thing he does is he anoints you. And the amazing thing is, because that anointing is connected to that, to the Christ. Now, when I want you to understand that when Jesus, the Lord Jesus Christ, before he was the Lord Jesus Christ, he was Jesus the Christ. But when he ascended, just before Pentecost and sat down at the right hand of the Father, he had overcome everything. He had finished the whole work of salvation. Then God said, you are now my first begotten from the dead. You are now both Lord and Christ in Acts chapter 3. And here is the Holy Spirit. You can now pour the Holy Spirit out. And Peter says that which you now both see and hear is because he is now Lord and Christ. Is that okay? 
But there's a very real sense when he poured out the Holy Spirit, it's almost like Jesus, Jesus left the planet in a sense. But the Christ remained. He was kind of gone for a little while, but then he was poured out on the day of Pentecost. So when we are established in Christ, he then anoints us. So you become Christed. You become an anointed one. So this is part of the Holy Spirit's ministry. Now you've got to remember that the Holy Spirit's ministry is to us. And then it's also through us. Is that good? He doesn't only come and minister to you. He doesn't want it to end there. He wants to minister through you. But the ministering to you is important. That's why first he establishes you in Christ. Then he anoints you. So he first has to do something in us. Then he can do something through us. So I want you to understand something. The more you are established there, the more you can operate there. So the first thing he does is establish us, and then he anoints us. And in verse 22, it tells us that he not only establishes and anoints us, but the second verse, verse 22, he has sealed us by the Holy Spirit. And I touched on it last week. He not only seals us in that he seals in all of this. He doesn't only seal us in that he seals in everything of Christ in us, but he authenticates us as anointed and genuine. So you are authenticated in Christ. Is that okay? So I want you to tell the person next to you, you're an authentic Christian. Come on, you're not a false Christian, you're not a hypocrite, you're an authentic Christian. Okay? Because you've been authenticated, you've been established and anointed, and you've been authenticated by the Holy Spirit. So he puts his seal approval on you, and he says, the real deal, the genuine. Not S-A-B-S approved, heavenly approved. And Jesus said it, that he has put his seal of approval on me as the bread that's come down from heaven. So come on, God has put his seal of approval on you. So you're approved. You're approved. Come on, tell the person next to you, you're approved. That's all the work of the Holy Spirit. And so we got to understand, I said it last week, so it's worth repeating. If we don't know the ministry of the Holy Spirit, we cannot with intellectually or we cannot with correct knowledge respond to him. So we need to be able to respond to him intelligently and accurately. But in order to do that, we need to understand and we need to know what his ministry is to us. So he establishes us, he anoints us, he seals us. And then what else does it say? He puts the earnest of the Spirit in our heart. Earnest. Earnest. Now that's a really good word. Because the earnest is pledge, it's guarantee, it's deposit. But don't you like the fact that the Holy Spirit is really earnest about what he does? It's not the meaning of the word. It's the, the modern meaning of the word. But the earnest of the Holy Spirit. The earnest. The earnest. The earnest is this. The earnest is the pledge. It's the deposit guaranteeing what is to come. So if you go and buy a car these days, I'm trusting that we get to the place where you're so blessed you can buy them cash. But ordinarily what happens is you put down a deposit and then you pay off the rest. Now the interesting thing about the deposit, the deposit is of the same substance as of the balance of payment. It's money, isn't that right? So the Holy Spirit is the deposit, it's the pledge and it guarantees the rest of your redemption. Now Paul says it in Ephesians, 
um, and a couple of other places, 2 Corinthians 5, and a few other places. He's the earnest, he's the down payment, he's the guarantee of your full redemption. So I'm going to just throw this at you. John chapter 6, Jesus says it about three times. He says, and I will raise him up in that day. And I will raise him up in that day. And in the third time in John chapter 6, he says, and I will raise it up in that day. The first two times he's talking about is that in the day. When is the day? Today is the day. <laughs> Ever since Jesus was crucified, we began the day of the Lord, the main day. Not a day of judgment, a day of grace, a day of blessing. And he says, and in that day, I will raise him up. In that day, I will raise him up. In that day, in that same day, in that same period of time, in the day of Christ, I will raise it up. And the it over there was your full salvation and full redemption. Is that okay? And that full redemption, uh, we read about it in Ephesians chapter 1 and 2. 1, I think it's chapter 1, is the full redemption of your body. So the fact of the matter that you can stand, and because you've received the Holy Spirit, the fact of the matter you can stand and stabros, nimigi, talavas, demigres, jumbras, tejinas, dovredes, I'm established in Christ, zimprondenes, aman, I'm anointed, jimbachemasdo, I'm sealed into Christ, predis dumombresh, I have the earnest of the Holy Spirit. This is the same, same price that is going to secure the full redemption of this physical body. And the saving of my soul. Isn't that awesome? So just in a two verses, we almost have a full message. So we've got to understand that the work of the Holy Spirit is all about Christ. I told you that's why his title, the Holy Spirit, is a little bit ambiguous because it's a title, not a name. His name is withheld because there's only one name that he wants to speak about. There's only one name that he wants to refer to. There's only one person that he wants to exalt, and that is the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so he's, he's a shadow ministry in a sense, but it doesn't mean he's not a reality. It doesn't mean that he's not the third person of the Trinity. It doesn't mean that he is not God. And so Paul takes time and the Word takes time to show us that the work of the Holy Spirit, his ministry to us, is number one is to impart the Christ life. It's to impart the Christ life. So the presence of the Spirit is synonymous with the presence of Jesus. The voice of the Spirit is synonymous with the voice of Jesus. Not only does He come to impart the Christ life, He comes to produce the Christ fruit. And if you're very clever, you will know all the verses as I'm quoting this. Okay, just give me one verse where it talks about fruit, other than Philippians 1.12. That's my verse. But what about Galatians 5? Yes, thank you. He comes to produce the Christ fruit. See, the Holy Spirit is more than the gifts. He's also the fruit of the Spirit. And so many Christians are pursuing the gifts. Well, how about equally pursuing the fruit of the Spirit? Why don't we pursue love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, meekness, you know, all the things against which there is no law. We should be pursuing those things. So it comes to impart the Christ life. He comes to produce the Christ fruit. Not only that, but he comes to reveal the Christ's things. So Jesus says it. In John chapter 14, the Holy Spirit will bring glory to me by taking from what is mine 
and revealing it and making it real and known to you. So Paul says this in Romans chapter 8, having graciously given us Jesus along with Christ, will he not also graciously then give us all, everybody say all, all things. So he will give us all the things of Christ. And that's why when Jesus rose, sat down at the right hand of the Father, the Father bestowed upon him the Holy Spirit, and that's what he said in John 14 to 16, and then he poured out the Holy Spirit on us, given as a gift to fulfill what he said in John 7, 37 to 39. Are we okay so far? See, I'm pushing on the days of Pentecost thing because we need to be spiritual, spirit-filled, not in name and description only, but in experience and in reality. We cannot talk the talk or walk the walk of Christ without the Holy Spirit. Okay? So He will reveal to us the things of Christ. And then not only that, but he will impart to us Christ's power. Without that power, we'll be ineffective, we'll be useless. In fact, we'll be wasting our time. We need the power of God to convince people. People need a power encounter, a reality. We can't tickle their minds intellectually without touching their spirits by the power of God. And so we need, we need the power of the Holy Spirit. It's the amazing thing is, it's the thing that Jesus said to his disciples. I mean, they walked with him for three years. They slept next to him around the same fire. They ate the same food. They did all the same things that Jesus did. Listen, after three and a half years living that close to Jesus, they knew the lingo. I mean, you know, they would know the right words to say, you know. Surely by now they had the Christianese thing down off pat. You know, they had the gab. You know, they could say the words. And they tried it one day when Jesus was on the mountain, and they tried to cast a demon out of a little boy that was throwing him in the fire and in the water, and they could do nothing. Because your talk will only take you so far. And I think that's the problem. We have a powerless church because many are convinced intellectually. But we need to be moved by the power, transformed by the power of the Holy Spirit. Something needs to take place on the inside here. Not tickle the little intellect up here. We need the power of the Holy Spirit. We've got to have it. We've got to have it. We can't. We can't do the Christian thing, let alone the church thing, without the power of the Holy Spirit. So he comes to impart the power. So Jesus said to his disciples, you don't go anywhere. You wait here in Jerusalem until you receive the promise of the Father. You wait. And when he comes on you, you will have power to be my witnesses. And we read about it in the book of Acts, how the apostles with great power continued to testify and give witness to the resurrection of Jesus, and much grace was upon them all. And so we need the power of the Holy Spirit. Come on, we're doing this kingdom thing, and we need the kingdom power. So he comes to impart the power of Christ. And then last of all, and I want you to understand this, I'm just trying to make it all work nicely. So he comes to replace the ascended Christ in the sense of his presence with us and in us. So he comes to replace the ascended Christ. It's powerful. Um, I want to have a look at it a little bit more in the coming weeks. But, you know, he's the comforter within. 
He's the advocate within. But he calls out to the advocate above. And John tells us in 1 John 2 that we have an advocate with the Father. He says, dear children, I write to you so that you do not sin. But if anyone sins, be rest assured that we have an advocate with the Father. who speaks to him on our behalf. Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He's not only our advocate, but, you know, the advocate for the whole world because he gave himself, his life, a sacrifice for us and for the whole world. So we need, we need an understanding. We need to understand. We need the person of the Holy Spirit. I just want to talk about a couple of other things, and I only want to touch on one or two. So the Spirit's ministry to us. We need the person and the work of the Holy Spirit. So I just want to just run through some of the other things. We've already touched on it, but he anoints us. This year is one of my favorite subjects, this one. I love it. He anoints us. The word anointing means to rub or to smear. One of these days we're going to have a proper biblical anointing service. And you're not going to have your hair done the day before. And you're going to not put makeup on. And you're not going to wear your brand new shirt that's going to get full of olive oil and stuff like this. And we're going to anoint you. wear overalls. We're going to anoint you, you know. And uh, we're going to properly anoint you. It means to rub and to smear in. It's really interesting that one of the words for anointing in the Bible, it's a picture. And it's a picture of the shields of the soldiers, which would be leather covered, wood with leather covers. And often what happens when the leather would dry out and start to crack, they would rub oil in to the shield. Listen, I want to tell you the anointing does something for your faith. When your shield of faith gets a little bit dry and cracked because it's been quenching all the fiery arrows, it needs a little bit of oil rubbed in. Is that okay? Smeared over. And so he anoints us. He anoints us. But not only that, he's also the spirit of burning according to Isaiah. Man, he's a spirit of burning. He's a spirit of burning. He's a Holy Spirit. He burns with zeal. He burns with fire. He burns with compassion. He burns most of all with love. The Holy Spirit is a spirit of love. And Isaiah says he is the spirit of burning. And if you're not sure about that interpretation, just don't ask any demon about how burning and powerful is the person of the Holy Spirit. Is that okay? Uh, Reynard Bonker once tells the story, I have shared it before, but he says a young man came up to him and he said, it's like I've got demons all around me, demons, demons, I've got demons all around and demons sit on me. And he said, listen, flies will sit on a cold stove, but not. (laughs) So get a little bit hot and on fire and you're not going to have the flies, okay? It's one of the description of demons. They're just as annoying. Okay. And. He's the spirit that anoints. He's the spirit of burning. But he's also the spirit of comfort. He's the comforter. This is not so much a hospital term. This is a legal term. It's not so much a, oh, shame. You had a rough day with your boss. It's okay. I'm your comforter. And listen, that aspect of the spirit is there. But he's more than that. More than that. He's your advocate. He knows what you need. And there's times when you pray and you go beyond your vocabulary because the need inside of you, the, 
whatever it is that you're facing is so deep, there's not enough words in your vocabulary to articulate the cry to God. That's when the comforter takes over. And sometimes it comes out with groanings that cannot be expressed by words. But the one who knows the mind of God is the Spirit of God within. And the Spirit of God within is known by God. And so the comforter will begin to intercede for you with words that cannot be expressed. Most times only sighs. But then, of course, there are words. There are words. Sometimes when you're in intercession, you're not praying for someone else when you switch over to the Holy Ghost. Sometimes you are praying for yourself. Sometimes you are interceding for yourself because he doesn't only have a ministry through you, he has a ministry to you primarily. And so he knows what you need. He knows what you're going through. He knows your deepest longings. And when you get up and you put on a brave face to the world, the spirit inside you, the paracletos, the comforter, is calling out to the advocate in heaven on your behalf. He anoints the spirit of burning, spirit of comfort. He's also the eternal spirit. And all of these have got scripture references for them. I can give you a majority of them. He's also the spirit of earnest. I've already mentioned. He's the eternal spirit. Jesus, who through the eternal spirit, offered himself to God. The work that Jesus did was eternal. When he comes and lives inside of you, he brings eternity inside of you. He's the eternal spirit. He's the spirit of grace. Paul talks about it in the book of Hebrews, in Hebrews chapter 9, I think it is 8 or 9, when he says, you can't go back to the law because there's no other sacrifice for sin, basically. You can't go back to the law because you would be then trampling underfoot the blood of Jesus and insulting the spirit of grace. The Holy Spirit is a gracious spirit. You know how I know that he's full of grace? Because he saved me and he came to live inside of me. He puts up with my stuff. But he still stays. You know, every time you blow it, the Holy Spirit doesn't leave. He may be grieved, but he doesn't leave. I will never leave you nor forsake you. He sticks around because he's waiting for you to say, Holy Spirit, help me with this. Is that okay? And so he's the spirit of grace. Not only that, He's the spirit of glory. So point number one. Is it okay if I just share like this? This is my favorite subject, you can tell, eh? The Holy Spirit is the spirit of glory. God said it, Numbers 14, 21. He says it in Isaiah 6, verse 6. He said it in Isaiah somewhere around verse 40, 45. He says it in Psalm, I think 27 somewhere. He says it in Habakkuk chapter 2. And the whole earth shall be filled with my glory. So Peter says this. Don't worry about the suffering that you go through. Because the suffering that you go through is achieving for you an eternal weight of glory which far outweighs them all. And so he's a spirit of glory in the sense that when he comes into your life, he brings 
the glory of God. He is the glory of God. He brings in you the glory of God. So Numbers 14, 21, when God said, all the earth will be covered with my glory as the waters cover the sea, basically what he was saying is the presence of the Spirit will be over all the earth. But more particularly, the presence of the Spirit in believers will be all over the earth, which tells me that God right there had a global mindset, a global view, a global mission in sending Jesus. Is that okay? And so we need the Spirit of God. So Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians 3 that as long as the veil of the law is there, we cannot see the glory of God in the face of Christ. Unless we receive the Spirit, He is the illumination. And where the Spirit is Lord, there is now no liberty. The Spirit then removes the veil and we can see God. So really the Spirit of God is the Spirit of glory. Amen. Number two. So we'll call that, he's the spirit of the New Testament. He's the spirit that brings us through our, our trials. Do you know that if you face difficulties and respond according to the word, it transforms you. Suffering in itself does not bring glory. But when we respond with the word and we respond in a God-like manner, then the spirit of glory and of God rests on us. And that eternal weight of glory is achieving for us something that is greater than the trials we face. Number three, the glory of God is also the presence of God. So the spirit of glory is also that presence of God where you feel, man, the glory of God is in this place. Okay? When Solomon's temple was dedicated, the glory of God came in. And the people couldn't stand to minister. That glorious presence was the presence of the Holy Spirit. On the day of Pentecost, when the Spirit came into the temple and they were all filled, it was that same glorious temple. One, the priests were not able to minister. In the book of Acts, they were able to minister. They offered sacrifices of praise to God. And 3,000 people got saved. He is the glorious. He is the presence. Amen? I love the glorious presence of God. There have been many times in ACF where, and especially where often I would be called by God to separate myself in fasting and prayer for prolonged periods of time. And just the weight of the glory of His presence was in this place so much. I remember one morning I'd been in extended time of fasting and prayer and the church had gathered and people were here already and they started to worship and I just felt to just wait and pray. And I remember that morning, it was, it was so glorious. I was just so much under the presence of the Holy Spirit and I opened the door and I walked in and I came into church and the whole church just fell out and ended, ended up under the floor under the power of the Holy Spirit. That's the glory. It's the glory. Come on, we want the glory. The Holy Spirit is the glory. It's not something separate. Same thing. The glory of His presence. The glory of His presence. The glory of His presence. The glory. We need the glory. Come on, ACF. We need the glory. There's something bigger than you. There's, there's a kingdom that's bigger than your little world. We've got to learn to be a part of that. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and all its righteousness. 
something higher than yourself. If we would learn to press into the glory, Ruth Ward Heflin says this, you know, praise till the spirit of worship comes. Then worship till the glory comes. We need to learn how to press in. We need to learn how to acknowledge God. We need to learn. I don't know if you felt on that video clip that morning. We just released it and we pressed in and the musicians were taken. And you can just sense the glory. We need the glory. He's the spirit of glory. The Holy Spirit is not touchy sensitive. He's not, you know, easily offended like some Christians. But I want to tell you that he is sensitive. Not in the sense of, you know, he hit my feet, he hit my feet. He's not immature. He's not immature. He's not a baby. But he's sensitive. We need to learn how to respect the Holy Spirit. We need to learn how to honor him. We need to learn how to value him. We need to learn how to provide the right environment for him to come in in glory. He doesn't just come in wishy-washiness, even though he's a spirit of grace. Look, he will come. He will come because that's the faithfulness of his character. That's his commitment to the word. I mean, he will come, but for us to experience that glory, I mean, listen, church, there's a responsibility on us. There's a sense of focus. There's a hunger. There's a desire for him. He's such a gentleman. If, if he's not wanted, he won't come. No matter the promise of God. He'll stand back and he will wait. He will manifest himself to people who want him there, who long for him there, who will press beyond their little tirednesses and their little, oh, it's, oh gosh, Pastor John's taking long. I found out that the Holy Spirit is not in a hurry and he doesn't care about this. The more you rush, the slower he becomes. Is the spirit of glory. I don't know about you, but I want the glory. More happens in the glory than... The glory of God, things can happen in 10 seconds in the glory more than in 50 years of ministry. When the glory comes, the presence comes. When you talk about the spirit being the spirit of glory, you can talk about all of these things. That, these are all massive subjects on their own. But there's an aspect in which the Holy Spirit knows how to accommodate the glory. And so often glory is a reference to worship because it talks about honor and esteem and priority. True worship, it sets aside every other agenda, the agendas of your anxieties and your clamoring thoughts and the needs of your personal little world and yourself and things like this. And worship is the acknowledgement of God and realizing who He is. We come together with a great priority in worship. And so the Spirit, He inspires us to worship. How gracious is He? He enables us. That's the difference between a song, the same song, sung out of the Spirit, and the same song sung in the Spirit. Amen. That's why the band knows they must pray. Sheree knows, pray over the song selection. The band knows they must pray before practice. The band knows they should be praying after practice, and they do. 
Because the worship is so important. It's part of our first ministry, our first ministry. Once the Holy Spirit comes, our first ministry is as priests unto God. Our first response. What was the first response of the apostles on the day of Pentecost? We heard them praising God in our own languages. Come on, church. We need to have that spontaneity back of worship and of praise. And that's very much a focus of the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Listen, your grumbling and complaining don't impress him much. But he responds to praise. He responds to worship. He responds to the spirit of thanksgiving. And I just, I love it because especially when we go into that spontaneous side of praise and worship, when it goes into spontaneity, when he's inspiring the moment and he's inspiring the mood inside of the church and he's inspiring our actions and he's inspiring our words. And then, you know, he inspires us to sing in a new language and pick up a melody that maybe we've never sung in before. And he's giving us new songs by the Spirit. To us, it sounds maybe familiar tongues, but it's new words, new declarations, new revelations of praise to God. And it's in those moments that God responds to God in us by the Spirit. And then He walks into the room and there's, there's His glory. There's His presence. Come on, church. We, we've got to go past the intellectual blocks that we get to. We've got to get past the hurdles of our little mindsets. And it's like, okay, we've done the four-song thing. We've done the two fast songs, and now we've done the third. Now we need to sit down, you know. Whew, gosh, I'm getting tired, you know. Oh, shame. You know, poor little you, you know. Oh, boss, you know, I'm getting hungry. Oh, shame. There's someone bigger than you. There's someone more worthy than your stomach. There's someone who needs to be worshipped. There's someone who needs to be praised simply because of who he is. And the Spirit comes and He says, I will inspire it, I'll motivate it, I'll, I will unctionize you for it, I will lift you, I'll be the wind beneath your wings. Something happens to the musicians and, man, in church, we can't, we can't afford to lose any of this. We've got to get back to those things. We've got to stop being so mindful of our own comfort and our own timetables. We've got to start to set those things aside and say, we got to press in. we got to give expression to the Spirit's ministry inside of us. Why don't we stand and lift our hands? That's the glory. Lift your hands. Come on, lift your hands. That's the Spirit's cry. That's the Spirit's longing for us to worship. Come on, respond by the Spirit. Open your mouth and just start to respond and just say, I worship you, Lord. I worship you. I worship you. I worship you, Lord. Come on, let's say it. I worship you. You don't have to sing to say You can just say it's an attitude of the heart. You can just respond. Say, I worship you. Spirit of glory, Spirit of God. Your trials may be big, but he's bigger.
get so selfish, we get so self-consumed. Our attention gets taken up with our lives. If we would just turn our eyes, take our eyes, and turn them on Jesus, look full in His wonderful face. worship you Lord I worship you Lord forgive us for being distracted forgive us for having wrong priorities I worship you Lord I worship you I worship you come on by the Holy Spirit by the Holy Spirit with his help with his enabling Start to open your mouth and start to articulate your worship and your thanksgiving and your adoration. Come on, more of you need to do that. Come on, start to speak out. Let's get into that spirit of worship. That is what I long to do. And I give you praise. For you are my Thank you. 
and it's you in Jesus. Someone said it to me recently, we were chatting. And they said, you know, I was away from church for such a long time. And when I came back, I was like, it was like I discovered myself again. Your true self is created in Christ Jesus. That's when you're really you, you know? When you're operating in the Spirit, when you're living in the Spirit, that's when you're really you, the you that Jesus, that God created. We're not really ourselves without the Spirit. We're ourselves in the Spirit. It's like if you know anything about cricket or tennis or squash, you know, when, or golf. It's like when you hit that ball and it's in the sweet spot and you get that perfect shot, that perfect drive. Listen, life in the Holy Spirit, life with Jesus is the sweet spot life. I'm more at home in Christ than in John. 